Kansas City Chiefs are headed back to the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years after defeating the Baltimore Ravens. They'll face the San Francisco 49ers, who ended the Detroit Lions' first playoff run since 1991. They'll meet in Las Vegas on February 11th. It's Monday, January 29th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Paramount prepares for the Super Bowl, its parent company, Paramount Global, is exploring a sale. We'll dive deep into what's going on there and the broader issues among the biggest broadcasters in the U.S. with CNBC's Alex Sherman. First, let's hit some news. Yannick Sinner won the Australian Open, becoming the eighth player ever to win a Grand Slam title after being down two sets and the first Italian man to win a Grand Slam title in 48 years. He hails from the town of Sesto, which has a population under 2,000 people. It's Sinner's first Grand Slam title, and he takes home just over $2 million as part of a $57 million prize pool. Both numbers are up from last year. That's been the trend among major tennis tournaments. The U.S. Open is bumping its total purse to $65 million, which is tops among Grand Slams. As the dollar figures rise, a greater proportion is going to players who exit in the early rounds in an effort to make tennis more financially stable for players outside the top 20. As for the 22-year-old Sinner, this win vaults him into the conversation around the youth movement in men's tennis, which is largely centered around Carlos Alcaraz. He has shaped a league in which the biggest stars get paid some of the highest athlete salaries in North America, while still allowing small and mid-market teams to compete on something close to equal terms as the bigger moneymakers. He made a decision in 2020 that had reverberations throughout the country when he chose to suspend the NBA season in light of the growing COVID-19 pandemic, and then finding a way to restart it in the NBA bubble. This year, we're seeing Silver's impact in the successful first run of the in-season tournament and load management rules. We're also seeing tweaks in officiating pump-up offenses. Per ESPN, four of the top 10 offenses in NBA history are playing right now. If an extension gets wrapped up quickly, it will be a signal to current and future media partners that there is stability at the highest levels in the NBA, which will further set up Silver and his colleagues for perhaps their biggest move yet, a new set of media deals that will bring NBA revenues to levels we have never seen before. And previously on the show, we covered the story of Nick Dunlap, the 20-year-old golfer who won a tournament with a $1.5 million top prize, but was unable to claim it due to his amateur status. He was the first amateur to win a PGA Tour event since Phil Mickelson 33 years ago. Well, that won't be an issue going forward. Dunlap is turning pro, which means he won't be eligible for events in the college golf season, but will mean he can collect his winnings next time he notches a win on the PGA Tour. The NFL released a teaser ad during the AFC Championship game between the Chiefs and Ravens, showing the New York Giants Saquon Barkley, the Minnesota Vikings Justin Jefferson, and the New Orleans Saints Cameron Jordan playing football in the streets of Accra, Ghana. The NFL has programs in Africa, but has never played a regular season game there. What's going on here? We don't know, but the league says details are coming after halftime at the Super Bowl. Up next, the NFL is helping to both hold Paramount together and take it apart. CNBC's Alex Sherman joins to discuss why Paramount Global is exploring a sale, who might be buying, what that would mean for CBS, Paramount Plus, and its cable networks, and the challenges we're seeing right now in broadcast media. That conversation is coming up next. Very excited to be joined now by Alex Sherman, CNBC media reporter. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Owen. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you back on. So, yeah, a lot going on in the the streaming world these days. Wanted to kind of get your takes on a, a few different things. Skydance Media is looking at acquiring Paramount Global, which owns you know, Paramount, CBS, Paramount Plus. Um, what do we know about its efforts there? 
So I think a lot of things are being discussed. Um, I think we're still somewhat early in the process, I'm told, of the exchange of information. This is a messy transaction for a number of reasons. Uh, It is a complicated deal. You have uh, an entity called National Amusements, which is a holding company that is owned by Sherry Redstone. Uh, That holding company owns the controlling shares of Paramount Global, 77% of the voting control. The deal will be, if it happens, with Ellison, who's backed by Redbird Capital, private equity firm. Uh, There's already an investor in there of KKR, which is another huge private equity firm. The the deal, as discussed, I'm told, is sort of a two-part deal. Part one would be that there would be an acquisition of national amusements. And that, I believe, would give Sherry Redstone cash. Uh, and I think she may need cash because she has taken out debt recently against NAI. Uh, I believe she has a tax bill that is due for the shares that she inherited um, from uh, her father when he passed away. So that may be another reason she needs them. So that, uh, in theory, would be a cash deal, which would be separate from the second part of the transaction. Uh, and I'm told the NAI deal is contingent upon the second part of the transaction. How the second part of the transaction would work, I don't know. And I think they're still exploring variations. But the point of it would be to merge Skydance, the studio, with the Paramount studio. The question, I think, is, well, what happens to the rest of Paramount Global? I'm talking about the Paramount Plus streaming service, the dying linear cable network, CBS. Uh, It's unclear to me if Skydance even wants the rest of that. So the various different options here could be... One, they work out some sort of deal where Skydance and Paramount Studio merge. I guess Skydance would acquire Paramount Studio. That could be one way of doing it. They pay a big price. That money goes to the Paramount Global shareholders. And then the remainder of Paramount Global just exists as a publicly traded company. That is not a great outcome for Paramount Global shareholders because they're left with a company whose best asset has been extracted, and now it's all these dying assets that, that are left over. So from what I'm told, the Paramount Global shareholder base hasn't been happy with that outcome, if they have a say in the matter at all here. And that's why there's been explorations of, well, how about a larger take private? Or maybe the whole, all of Paramount Global can be taken private. The problem there is that it's really expensive to do that. And I think there's a lot of camps that are like, well, this is a melting iceberg. Why would we pay a big premium for this whole thing if we can just wait and it will be worth a lot less several years down the road? So you've got that going, but at the same time, you have a motivated seller in Sherry Redstone. So that's why this is so messy and complicated, and I'm not really sure how it's going to turn out yet. The, the piece of Paramount that, that Skydance doesn't want, you know, CBS, Paramount Plus, et cetera, Nickelodeon, um, there, there's still a lot of major sports rights contained in there. They're broadcasting the Super Bowl this year. Uh, they've got March Madness. Uh, they've got, you know, a, a bunch of you know, college football, golf. Um, those are expensive to maintain and to, to broadcast. Um, can a slimmed down company continue to be a player in the, the sports media world? I think that's a huge problem. I mean, CBS owes $2 billion a year every year for the NFL. We've already, that's already a problem based on the market cap size of the company. Uh, there are a lot of questions about can this company even pay the NFL by the end of this deal? I've heard that 
bandied about several times. So if you're now going to extract the Paramount Studio from it, I mean, I, I'm not – again, you, you'd have to pay such a huge price for Paramount in order to allow the company sort of to pay off the NFL. Maybe that will happen. I, I don't know. But there's no question that uh, Paramount Global at this point is in a, in, in, in a, a situation that uh, borders on dire, I would say, um, and, and, and in large part because of that NFL deal. Uh, they have a lot of money that's due. The, the stock price seems to be going uh, down and down rather than up and up. So there, there would need to be sort of a complete revaluation of the media industry, I think, in order to keep Paramount Global afloat for years to come so that they would be in a healthy situation to pay off all the money that they owe for sports rights down the road. Yeah, well, that's fascinating because, I mean, you know, I remember those, those NFL deals – um, when they happened, you know, and it was basically every major network bought a chunk of the NFL for many billions of dollars. Um, the sense was, you know, this is just the value of the NFL. And the NFL this year has been the most, and as this is every year, the most popular thing that people watch, that the most popular media thing in America. And yet you're saying, at least for Paramount, it's just not worth it because, it's just too big for them, I guess. Is that right? Correct. And I will say that people, even at the time, sort of were like, mm, is this company going to be able to afford this? Like, people, even at the time, saw the media landscape shifting. Uh, and, 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 and I think the point, to your point, the point people made then was, but they need the NFL. Like, if they're going to exist, they need this. They can't just bow out. Because if they bow out, they're also in a terrible situation. So at least try to kick the can down the road, get the NFL, use the NFL to try to get as many programming increases on, a, on retransmission fees as you can on the linear side, and then maybe push people toward Paramount Plus on the streaming side. Because if you have the NFL, it's by far your best asset. And I think that's true. All you need to do is look at the ratings for NFL games. Like They keep going up and up and up, whereas the ratings for almost everything else on linear TV goes down. So that's the bind that CBS was in. Um, either way, there was going to be an issue. Comcast just released its earnings. Uh, you know, Comcast owns NBC, another major NFL broadcaster, another major sports broadcaster. You know, they, they seem to be doing fine, at least on the surface, uh, from what I can tell. Um, I'm wondering if, if you think that's true. And um, yeah, just how I, I also I, I feel like I've read reports that they were also looking at acquiring Paramount. Are, are thing is the NFL worth it? I guess is one thing I want to know about Comcast. And are things going okay over there? You know, it, it, things are going fine in that the expectations have been lowered enough on the business that Comcast just released its quarterly earnings. The stock went up fairly significantly because it beat expectations. But you know, like the fundamentals, I think, are worrying, um, both on the media side and the cable side, frankly, where there's still broadband subscribers that are where, where the company is losing uh, uh, high-speed broadband subscribers, which was this huge growth business for years and years and years. And that's such a good business for Comcast that really protects NBC Universal. And that's been the thesis of Comcast, which is like, look, if NBC Universal is a vulnerable media company like these other ones, like Paramount Global, it doesn't matter because it's protected by big Comcast and big Comcast is doing fine. And Brian Roberts loves the media business. So this works. You know, there's there's a, uh, in essence, like a sugar daddy for NBC Universal. 
But if the Comcast business, uh, the cable business, isn't doing as well, you know, I think there are people out there that wonder if Brian Roberts might decide, you know what, like, I, I, it doesn't make any sense for me to own NBC Universal, which has problems of its own. Uh, and its main problem is, what do you do when you have all of these linear cable networks, almost all of them, that are uh, not doing as well as they used to because of the secular declines of linear TV? You can make an argument Bravo is still, um, you know, is maybe the best of the worst there for NBC Universal. And the strategy for all the media companies has been, well, we'll develop our own streaming service. But Peacock continues to just lose money and a lot of money. I mean, Peacock lost $825 million last quarter. Um, it, 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 that's better than it was. It lost almost a billion dollars a year ago. So it is losing less, but it's still losing a lot of money. And it has 31 million subscribers. Netflix has like 260 million subscribers globally. Not an apples to apples thing. But the point is that this is not a scaled streaming service. This is not the answer, at least not yet, for NBC Universal. So yeah, I think NBC Universal has its own issues, and they're also in that just general media bucket of like, well, will the protector hang on to it? That's what I think. You know, I'm an NBC Universal employee. Disclosure, like I think a lot of employers hope that's the outcome. That Brian Roberts has a real long view on this, and that he just sees. This is maybe a moment in time and just hold on to the business and eventually we'll figure something out, either with a, with a merger, if he acquires a company, or we'll transition the business over time in some way. There's another outcome where he decides, I've had enough of this, and I'm going to spin off NBC Universal and David Zaslav and Warner Brothers, congratulations, you can now run a bigger media company. Um, and then NBC Universal doesn't have its protector anymore, and it's just out there as another media company. Um, and I would say, from at least a employee standpoint, uh, that is the the worst of the two outcomes. Mm hmm. Interesting. Um, are any of the traditional media broadcasters, you know, CBS, NBC, Fox, ABC, you know, which you know, obviously those all have giant parent companies. Are any of them? in good shape or is it everyone's just like hanging on for as long as they can and hoping that somehow this equation changes in a way that allows them to continue in some kind of sustainable way? I don't think any of them are in particularly good shape. I suppose you could argue that Sony is in okay shape because they've been an arms dealer and they never made a streaming service. So they haven't lost any money, but like that even Sony pictures is just sort of a subsidiary of the larger Sony, which is a Japanese company. So I don't even know that I would put them in the same bucket. All of the legacy media companies have major issues, major issues because they're all publicly traded companies and wall street demands growth and they have a huge declining linear business, all of them. So they're all stuck. So unless they can quickly get streaming going so that it looks something more like what Netflix looks like, where it's just pumping money now, um, they're not in a great situation, and that's the case for Disney. That's the case for Warner Brothers Discovery. Again, NBC Universal is protected, so in that sense, uh, the the Wall Street's focus is not really on NBC, which is good for NBC. Um, but it doesn't mean that the fundamentals of the business are that good at this stage. Uh, and yeah, I think Paramount Global of those four is is in the worst shape. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, it feels like part of the problem for these companies is Netflix. It's not like, oh, well, I'm maybe I'm not watching cable anymore, so I'll just get like the streaming services of the networks I used to watch. It's like you already had Netflix, like you probably already have Amazon Prime, and like the, there's so much content there that um, you know, if, if you're you know Joe TV watcher, um, you know, you, you don't need you don't need all of them sort of you don't need paramount and peacock and you know and, and disney plus or whatever uh or hulu um you, you you probably just pick one or zero of them to, to that point i think when i talk to executives at some of the legacy media companies not netflix um they push hard on a streaming bundle like they, they want one and they want one because if there was some sort of discounted price then all of a sudden, I think people would say, well, all right, fine. Like, yeah, I don't need Paramount Plus, but like, it's going to be part of the bundle. All right, sure, I'll take it. It's the same cable logic. But it's been hard to get there where all of these companies can, you know, to, to avoid anti-collusion rules, all of them negotiate to build up some sort of bundle that doesn't exist and figure out the right economics. Because from Netflix's standpoint, Netflix is like, well, why do I need to do a deal with any of you guys? I mean... I'm, I'm the one that everybody wants, not you. So if I'm going to do a bundle with you, the economics need to be shifted as such, where I'm at least getting the bulk of the revenue here. <clears throat> we can't do something where there's some sort of like equal revenue share because people want Netflix a lot more than they want Peacock. Yeah, well, but so we could see some kind of, you know, bundle where we get, you know, at least Peacock, Paramount, maybe the Disney Network, something where it's like, you kind of you get traditional so. TV as a streaming you, you, you Honestly, I'm surprised it hasn't already happened um, because you would think that these companies would say, okay, we gave it a go. We gave it a go on our own. Like time for phase two here where we're able to limit churn and add more subscribers by coming up with something that's a little bit more consumer friendly that you know could also benefit the legacy media companies. So I, that has not happened still yet. But I think a lot of the executives are waiting for it and hope it happens in 2024. Okay, well, last question for you. Uh, Netflix, you know, just bought rights to WWE. Um, they say, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean we're doing more in sports. They, I feel like they keep saying that. Do you believe them? I mean, I like long term, no, I don't believe them. Uh, I, I don't really see how this deal, which is a 10-year deal, worth $5 billion for rented live sports entertainment, that's what they're calling it, rights, is any different than what a traditional TV sports rights deal would be. Uh, Co-CEO Ted Sarandos went on the conference call and said, well, no, this is sports entertainment and the, the drama is the event and therefore it's more core to us. I couldn't really follow the logic of that. To me, professional sports is drama also. So I, I, I just don't see from a logic standpoint why this is all that different from any traditional sports rights deal. And it really seems to me like it's a way where Netflix can test it out, see if it works, see how many customers sign up for their advertising tier, see how many people watch it without ads. And then Netflix can say, OK, this worked or this didn't work or there's more information and we'll figure it out. And then it's just a precursor to a more traditional sports deal. Maybe I would believe Netflix a little bit more if they hadn't also gone back on their word about advertising and password sharing. And like this has become sort of a thing now for Netflix to decide, you know, like we reserve the right to change our mind. 
So I, I would put that one in, in, in this bucket. I, I think that's what logic indicates. Yeah, yeah, that, I think it makes a lot of sense. Alex Sherman, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Owen. That's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the League Championship Series. We have one more NFL game left this year. Subscribe so you don't miss a thing and tell a friend about the show. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.